0: Um, and tonight's passage you'll see a little bit of that but especially in chapter 3 and chapter 2 it just happened a lot Um, and of course early church tradition is that John is in his senior years and that Jerome tells us that when John in his senior years was uh, coming to church too old to walk they would carry him on a stretcher and bring him in the end of the service they would sort of stand him up and he would simply say either brothers and sisters or like he says in his letter little children beloved children let us love one another. That's what he would say, um, which is reflected, of course, through the truth of both his gospel and particularly his letter. So we're looking at this passage tonight, <clears throat> and John chapter, one, John chapter three, verse 23, he says, "And this is his command, singular. This is his command to believe in the name of his Son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. This single command has two parts to it, to believe in Jesus and to love one another. That's the outline for chapter 4. He spends the first six verses amplifying what does it mean to believe in Jesus and he spends the remainder of the chapter talking about um, what does it mean to be loving towards one another. These are two inseparable aspects. If we believe in Jesus, it will automatically... mm, It will inevitably flow over into our lives. And if it isn't flowing over into our lives, probably we aren't believing in Jesus. We're not in his kingdom. We're going to talk about that tonight. So let's pray and then let's jump in. Uh, Father, it's always good to be free and to be able to meet together, to meet with brothers and sisters, to meet around the context of honouring you and listening to you. So we pray tonight that as we look at your word, that you've inspired, that you might speak to us by your Holy Spirit. That he might help us to understand, that he might help us to embrace, and that he might help us to respond to the truth that we hear this night. Shape us that we might be passionate followers of Jesus. We ask it in his name. And Everybody said? John in his senior years is a person who loves to speak not only in absolutes of black and white but is also a person who likes um, to talk with, it's almost simple terms and it's theologically accurate, he talks about uh, two kingdoms, there's the kingdom of this world and there is the kingdom of God and he certainly does that in this passage and I've been doing a little bit of thinking about that and so I want to say to you tonight, the world certainly does divide into the world those who are outside the kingdom, those who don't believe in Jesus, and it divides into those who do, both those who say they do and those who genuinely do. And these two camps can both, in turn, be subdivided. That in the world, there are people who are uh, religious, be that whatever major form of religion they have, but there are also people who are completely irreligious. Uh, They're atheists, they have no religion, no practice of it, or whatever. Those are the two groups of the world. And then there are two groups, even within this broad banner of the church. There are people who say that they are believers. There are people who call Jesus Lord, but it's not real. They profess faith, but they don't practice faith. And then, of course, there is a second category of those within the church who are the true believers. Those who have been born again, those who have received the Holy Spirit, those who... um, whose lives are being changed and who are in the process of growing to be more and more like Jesus. So now within the context of the Church, there are people who say they're Christians but they're really not. Jesus alludes to them, so does John in this passage, when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the Kingdom of Heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in Heaven. And people even in this category can do remarkable spiritual things. They can prophesy, they can cast out demons, they can perform miracles. They're still not saved because they haven't repented, responded, and accepted Jesus. So, for all of their religious show and profession of faith, it's not true. But for people over here who have been born again, who have responded genuinely and sincerely, the church in turn is not only made up of true believers, but the church is quite diverse. There are Catholics and there are Anglicans and there are Uniting Church people and there's Church of Christ and there's Baptists and there's Church of the Nazarene and on and on and on and on and if you count up the denominations in the world there's hundreds thousands of them with born again truly born again believers within them that which unites us as believers in the church are the essentials of the faith we'll talk about that But that which divides us that which separates us even though we are united in jesus part of his one kingdom one family uh, there are some major issues that we differ over they're not essential but they're major they're not essential and that means we're in the kingdom but they are major and they lead to differences between those who are truly born again i'm not staying here tonight but just to give you an illustration for instance baptism uh, we're a Baptist church, we baptise people a certain way and we only baptise believers. But Anglicans and Catholics and United Church and other people who are genuine believers and follow Jesus and they're born again and they have the Spirit and they submit to the Word, they don't agree with us. They baptise infants and they may not baptise by immersion, they may <laughs> baptise by sprinkling. It's a major difference. It's not an essential of the faith, but it's a major issue that it's easier Uh, for them to uh, worship in their community and it's easier for us to worship in our community there are very few churches that can actually practice that diversity where when we baptize people we baptize them either by immersion or we baptize them by sprinkling or we baptize them by pouring or we baptize believers or we baptize infants i don't know any churches that do that i read about them some but they're very few and far between Another major issue would be different views on the role of women in a church, role of women in ministry and leadership. And if you're of the view that women can't be an elder, a woman can't be a pastor, a woman can't preach, then it would be difficult for you to be in a church where a woman could do that. It's a major issue, but it doesn't separate you from the kingdom. Do you understand what I'm saying? And there are many issues just like that. Um, So, in the world, atheists and irreligious... People who are not following Jesus but they are religious, whether they are Buddhist or whatever they happen to be, their major world review, Islamic or Muslim, whatever. And then within the church, there are people who are fair income, genuine followers of Jesus, and there are impostors, pretenders, either deceived or intentional, that they hear to deliberately undermine and to exploit. And John is writing particularly about a church which has experienced that that it has had false believers amongst them and that some of these false believers have now exited but not all and that they are still having an influence upon those who are the true believers. And so John writes in chapter 4, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit. When he says spirit, he doesn't mean ghost, and he doesn't mean demon, he doesn't mean spirit. He means the spirit that's in a person. <clears throat> don't believe every spirit but test the spirits, test the prophet, the teacher. To see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In our world, the world we live in, it's no different to John's world, there are many false prophets. The Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses are easy to put into that category. They are very aggressive promoters of their belief systems. They're in every country, and they particularly target those in the lower socioeconomic areas, and they also target Christians. Christians who are not sure of what they believe. That's their target. <clears throat> and there were even so-called evangelicals who are departing from the faith they, at once. This would be the extreme example, of, for my experience, the extreme example. I had Jehovah's Witnesses, two Jehovah's Witnesses, turn up on my lawn, <clears throat> excuse me, one day, and they've changed their lingo. They've changed their presentation. So I just said to them quite straight, you guys don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes, we do. You believe He's the Son of God? Yep. You guys don't believe that you're saved by faith alone? Yes, we do. But you then have to talk to them. And what do you mean when you say Jesus is the Son of God? They don't mean what the Bible means when it says He is the Son of God. They're using Christian terms and Christian jargon, but not meaning what evangelicals mean or not meaning what the Bible means. Says. So that's why John writes, similar thing was happening back in his time, don't believe just anybody who stands and preaches or prophesies or teaches you things from the Bible, <clears throat> test them. And he provides a test for us. Um, he says, this is how we can recognise the Spirit of God. Every spirit, every teacher, every prophet, every believer who acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh that he was truly human, it's from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus has come from God, that's the spirit of the Antichrist, the one who who you heard is coming and even now is in the world. We need to be discerning if we are followers of the Lord Jesus, John is saying, because Satan is at work in the world. He is the one who was behind all of these false teachers and impostors. Some people say, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. But that's wrong, isn't it? Because you can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. George Reeves, whom you are far too young to remember, what I should do is ask everybody here who understands who George Reeves is, because they're my peers. Who knows George Reeves? Oh, look, not one hand. Mm. How old am I? Some of you will know him. George Reeves was the original superman black and white era oh him i just didn't know his name oh yeah now you confess he believed through whatever illness or delusion that he in fact could fly he played the role of superman he went on top of a building and he jumped off because he thought he could fly but he couldn't sincere sincerely wrong I once thought, when I was, I don't know how old, four, five or six, that I could, I think I've told you this story, through our clothesline, which was in our backyard, which back in those days, we didn't have a Hoyts clothesline, we had two poles at the either side of the yard and there was a long wire that was stretched across. Anybody else had those? One or two? And I figured... That I could get a four a gallon drum, which is a drum about this size, and that I could tie a rope to it, and that I could hang it from the clothesline, that wire, that I could get a ladder and climb up on top of the wire, sit on either side of the wire, put my feet on either side of the drum, and that I could ride it like a horse. I thought, and I was sincere and I was wrong. And I didn't ride the horse when I got up and when I got on the clothesline and I went to put my feet on the drum and I landed on my left arm and bent it, zunk. So I didn't break it, I bent it. It's called a green stick fracture. So now my thumb is permanently dislocated. I can do this to it. Of all the things I say tonight, that's what you're going to remember, isn't it? Yeah. Sincere, but wrong. And many of the people you meet, whether on this side of the grid, or even the people who are here, can be quite sincere, and they can be nice people, they can be gentle and respectful. That's not the test, and that's not the issue. As John says it to us, it's test every spirit. Where is a person coming from? And it comes down to the person of Jesus. In verse 2 he says, Do they believe and understand that Jesus Christ was actually fully human? That means virgin birth and it means he had a body, that he actually, he physically, literally died and rose again from the dead. All of that is subsumed under this idea of Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And of course, in John's day, the Gnostics, the false teachers, they didn't believe that. They had some other weird interpretations which we've either explained before or we don't need to go into tonight. And then if you jump down to verse 15, he has another test. Everyone who acknowledged that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them. In other words, do you believe Jesus is fully human? Verse 15, do you understand and believe that Jesus is fully God? To test the truth of somebody who is teaching God's Word, is their mentality, when it's caught up with Jesus, do they have a correct understanding of Him? And you will find that all of the cults depart, that they're on the other side of the line, between those who are born again and clearly understanding and those who are pretenders, they've got it wrong when it comes to Jesus. They've got some other explanation, they have other, some other twist or whatever... Now, they're the primary test that John gives us in this passage. They're not the only tests in the Scriptures, but they are certainly key. Don't believe every spirit, John says. Test them. What they believe about Jesus will guide you. That, of course, means, by implication, that every Christian, if you know and follow Jesus, you have the ability as well as the responsibility to be examining what somebody's saying to you. You have the Spirit of God within you, And it's your responsibility to be testing. I've said this numerous times in this pulpit. You should always test what I say against what does the passage actually say. And you are invited and you are free to disagree. You'll be wrong, of course. Not necessarily. I might be wrong. And if I am, if you think I am wrong on some point, I invite you, come and share it with me. Come and share your perspective. It doesn't mean that I'll change my view. It could be one of those issues where there is a difference of opinion, but it's not essential. Or it could be something that is where I, in fact, am wrong. I don't think anybody has all of the truth completely correct. I don't believe I have all of the truth completely correct. I believe that philosophically. The problem is, I don't know which bits I've got wrong. If I knew which bits I'd got wrong, I'd change it. Does that make sense? So therefore we need one another to iron sharpens iron. We need to hold each other accountable and say this is what the Scripture says. Acts chapter 17 reminds us, verse 11 of the Bereans, where it says they're listening to the Apostle Paul. And it says they received his word gladly but they checked the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They're checking out the Apostle Paul. Uh, Is that what the Bible says? That's what we should do. doesn't matter who it is. Because all of us are fallible humans and sometimes some of these fallible humans are in fact deliberately deceptive. They're in it for another motivation and so we are to be on guard. How do we test them? Do they confess Jesus that he's come in the flesh and do they believe that he is the Son of God? As I said, a false prophet can certainly be gentle and loving and respectful but the issue is, what do they say? About Jesus. And then John gives us, note the difference in words, he gives three responses. In verse 4, he talks about you, that's the church he's writing to, the truly born again ones. In verse 5, he talks about they, this is this other group, these pretenders. And then he talks about us in verse 6, and that's the apostles. Verse 4, he says, But you, dear children, those who are part of the true church, real followers of Jesus, You are from God and you've overcome them. You've overcome the influence of these false teachers. Why? Because, excuse me, the one who is in you, Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world, Satan and the spirit of Antichrist. Christianity is not just a creed with doctrinal basis attached to it. It's not just that we have to believe the right things about Jesus. It includes that. But Christianity really is about a relationship with a person, with Jesus. Jesus that you were being born again, were a child in his family. Here's a, I'm not sure what to call it, a conundrum. Some of you will have heard this before. What's born once and dies twice? And what's born twice but dies once? 35 seconds of thinking time. What's born once dies twice and what is born twice but dies once now I'm not going to that side of the room because I think you people will get it let's go to this side of the room well that implies I don't think you'll get it doesn't it no no I want you to surprise me I want you to get it who's going to have a shot Besides (laughs) Brendan. Born once, uh, born twice, what did I say? Born once, dies twice. And who is born twice but dies once? Say that again. Can I repeat it? You just did. How many times (laughs) do you want me to repeat it? Born once, dies twice. Who's that? Tom, I think you yelled out something. Sebastian. (laughs) Bim, bim, time's up. People who don't know Jesus, were you going to say that? We shall pray. <laughs> born once, all every people, all people are born once. Dies twice, they die physically, and because they don't know Jesus, they die again spiritually, the eternal death. Die twice. Born twice, but die once Brendan. <laughs> a butterfly. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Don't give that man permission to answer any more questions. (laughs) Born twice is is a Christian. Born once physically but born again spiritually, born twice. And you die once physically but you don't die spiritually. Okay, why did I share that with you? Uh, it's coming out of verse 4, that you are from God, you've been born again and you have a Holy Spirit living within you and you have overcome them because you've been born again, you've been born twice. And the Spirit within you is able to resist. The implication, I think, of what John is saying is this, is that if you're in this category over here, you're truly born again, you have the Holy Spirit within you. When you hear error, when you hear falsehood, the Spirit within you goes, that's not true just like when you hear truth, the Holy Spirit within you will be going, that's true. Jesus is the Son of God, that's true. Jesus is God the Son, that's true. Jesus was born of the Virgin, that's true. Jesus not come again, that's not true. The Spirit of God within you will be witnessing with your spirit and however that manifests for you, that'll be this discomfort or this unease, there'll be something, the Spirit of God will be prompting you but of course you've got to be listening. And that doesn't excuse us, we must be diligent students of the Word. I say that all the time, and because I believe it, and because I think the Scriptures emphasise it for us. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20, the context is, when people come to you, when they're consulting mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, people are going for these strange, weird spiritual experiences, and they come to you and they say, shouldn't we consult them? Isaiah's answer... To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to his word, to this word, they have no light of dawn. To the word, the word of God, and to the testimony that God gave through Moses. To the word of God. If they don't speak according to the scriptures, they have no light of dawn in them. Diligent students of the word. That's what we have to be. Or you could look up Deuteronomy 13 and read exactly about... God's very clear instructions. What if somebody comes to you and says this, this and this and they even perform miracles and do this and so on? What should you do? Well, if it's not according to what my commands are, according to my word, don't follow them, don't believe them. That's the guideline. And John gives that to us in verse 6 when he talks about we are from God. He means the apostles. And whoever knows God listens to us, the apostles. And whoever is not from God doesn't listen to us. This is how we recognise the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So our Isaiah 8 would be, I would say, we need to be listening to the Old Covenant, the law of God, the Old Testament. And verse 6 is reminding us we need to be listening to the New Testament. We need to be Bible students, Bible readers. Now, note verse 5. I thought this was very interesting. It says, they, that's this group of pretenders who were part of the church but have now left it, who pretended, to said they followed Jesus but really didn't because they didn't know him, didn't believe he came in the flesh, didn't confess him as son of God, they are from the world and therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. That verse gives us an insight and explains for us why sometimes false prophets, pretenders, can have big ministry and big influences. How can the Jehovah's Witnesses, who are teaching nonsense, how can they have such success how can they have such large numbers well because they're from the world and the world listens to them that's what John I think would say so the test is not are people listening to them are they growing Uh, that's not the test no the test is are they being faithful and true to the gospel what are they saying about Jesus okay so five quick things what does this mean for us number one make sure that you are in God's kingdom That you've been born again. That you're not a say-so Christian, but that you are a show-so Christian. Your life is being changed and transformed. Your obedience to him. You confess Jesus is Lord and Saviour. You believe and understand that he came in the flesh, that he was fully human and he is fully God. He's not simply Son of God, he is God the Son, second member of the Trinity. Make sure that you are in his kingdom, born again. And if you find or suspect that you're not, then come and talk to us. Talk to somebody tonight about that and we can explain to you what that means and what you'll need to do. Secondly, be a diligent student of God's Word. Read, reread, keep reading, especially the New Testament. Not only, but especially. Because that's where the clarity of who Jesus is. But of course, we need to read all of Scripture. But if you're not a Bible reader, then begin with the New Testament. Read it, reread it, read it ten times, twenty times, read it a hundred times. Read it over and over and over. Listen to the apostles. Listen to what they teach us. Ah, so be a diligent student of God's word. Number three, expose yourself to good Bible teaching on the internet, on YouTube, not Google Tube, on YouTube. But don't believe everybody. And don't believe just anybody. Apply the test of Scripture. Is what they're saying what the Bible says? Is that correct? What do they believe and teach about Jesus? About his humanity, about his deity, about his person and work and the fact that he's coming again as judge. And then John goes on to say, once you've got those ducks lined up, once you're following Jesus, you're a true born again believer, you're a student of the word, you know and follow Jesus... Then let his life, which is now in you, overflow. Love one another. That's where he goes. Dear friends, let us love one another, verse 7, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever doesn't do that, doesn't know God. Why? Because God is love. If God is in your life, then the character of the parent will be manifest in the life of the child. If we know him, then we will become like him. It's a process, it's a journey, we won't be perfect, we all know that. But nonetheless, the reality will be there. It's inevitable. But having said that, I should also say, but it's not automatic. If you jump down, I think it's to verse 11. Dear friend. since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. That ought, that's a command. Because God loved us, sent Jesus... We should, we ought. It's not automatic. There is some effort, there are some decisions and choices are required for us to be obedient to that which He is working in us. And also, interestingly, just as an aside, it's interesting John places truth in juxtaposition with loving one another. In our world, often we think, Uh, that doctrines divide, that truth should be um, ignored in order that we can tolerate and love and be united with people. John doesn't have anything like that. He has truth and love together. And that, in fact, to be truly loving is to be a person who is going to be loving someone according to the truths of God's Word. That could mean correcting or challenging or whatever is necessary in order to be loving. This love that we should have is because God has demonstrated his love for us and love at the end of the day, biblical love is something you do, it's something you demonstrate. It's not liking them, it's not romantic love. It's love that, the love of God is what he demonstrated through Jesus. It's self-sacrificing, it's caring commitment and it's for the good of another. Self-sacrificing, denying self could be inconvenient to me It's caring commitment. It's not just cold-hearted duty. There is an element of care involved. This is the right thing to do and associated with that will be a sense of care. What if I don't feel any care for them? We'll do it anyway. And you will find that the care, the feelings will come eventually, normally. And it seeks the good of the other, helps them, seeks their relationship with Jesus not a feeling, love is not a feeling, and yet love is not without feeling. I think I've already said that. So, we should love one another. Why? Well, because God is love and because God has loved us. And if we are in God and God is in us, then His nature will be manifest in us. And if it isn't, the implication is, John says, well then, we are not in Him. We are in the second category, pretenders. God is love, demonstrates for us that it's part of his unique character. And this is unique to Christianity, to biblical truth. No other religion in the world talks about God as being a God of love, to the best of my knowledge. No other religion says it. And it's interesting, if God is love, it means it existed before anything else did. God is not love because he created things that he could love... Mm -mm. God is love and the God who loves created to demonstrate his love to his creation that of course then implies if God is love uh, that God there is a plurality of persons in the Godhead Uh, because you can't be a single soul person and be loving to whom? Yourself that implies the Trinity implies others that God is love. This is the love that is in God and that he has displayed to all in creation. And as I've said, those who are in God will love because his nature is within them. Martin Lloyd-Jones says these pretty strong words. He says, Christians who are, and he meant habitually, continually, without change or improvement, Christians who are angry, Christians who are unkind, impatient, abusive, self-centred, judgmental, who spread malicious gossip, who are defensive when they are corrected, if people are behaving like that, not occasionally, but habitually, that's their character. Then Martin Lloyd-Jones says, they are proclaiming to everybody that they are outside the kingdom and there is no hope for them unless they repent, turn to God. Christians, say they're Christians, always angry, unkind, impatient, abusive, self-centred, judgmental, spreading malicious gossip and who are defensive when corrected, I'm not demonstrating change of character of being born again. So finally, since God loved us, John says, we ought to love one another. That's an obligation, not easy. You've probably got a brother or a sister who's a bit difficult to live with, a bit annoying sometimes. Well then John says, remember what God has done for you. He didn't do it for you when you were nice, when you were kind. He did it for you when you were opposed to him and, in fact, you were his enemy. God demonstrates his love for us in that when we were still sinners, rebels, defiant, Christ died for us. Remember God's attitude towards us and ask God to help you to be like him to them, to help you to love them. So what have we said... make sure you're born again. Make sure that you're in the kingdom and not just pretending. Be a diligent student of God's word. Evaluate whatever teaching you hear, always. Expose yourself to good teachers, but don't just follow them blindly. Always be evaluating. Um, Check them out against what they teach, particularly about the person and work of the Lord Jesus. And then be a person, as you follow Jesus, who is loving towards others, towards the unlovable, towards the unlikable that's what God expects and desires for us his church it's to be the mark of the church a new commandment Jesus says I give unto you that you love one another by this will all men know that you are my disciples by your love for one another let's pray thank you father for your truth Thank you for the revelation that we have here that you are a God who has demonstrated love to us by sending Jesus and that it's your desire and your requirement for people to come out of the world and to come into your kingdom and to be changed, to become lovers of others, just like you are. Lord, help us to be discerning Help us to be diligent in our study of your word and effective in evaluating. But most of all, transform us that we can be passionate about you and Jesus and very passionate and loving towards one another and others. We ask this for Jesus' sake, for the honour of his name. Amen.